I was recently interviewed on Concrete Podcast, brilliant YouTube channel, and that got me to watch hours and hours of the guys on Concrete interviewing Matt Cox. Now, if you're not familiar with Matt Cox, he has become a YouTube sensation, one of the FBI's most wanted fraudsters, and it's the way Matt tells his story. He's got this unique charisma. It doesn't look like a you know, big, tattooed, muscly convict guy. He's just got this unique charisma, and he tells his story, and it is like compulsively watchable. Once I started watching it, I thought, all right, I'll dip into this. <laughs> like hours later, I'm like, what is going to happen next? So I'm absolutely delighted to have Matt on the podcast here today. And you've got a book coming out, Matt. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I do. I have Shark in the Housing Pool, which is my book. And it's actually available right now on Amazon. And it's it's my story. It's basically my story up to prison. And it kind of gives you a quick uh, recap of what happened in prison. But it's maybe a chapter. But the bulk of the book, 95% of it is my, uh, I guess, crime spree, you'd call it. <laughs> What a hell of a spree it was. And the link to the book is in the description box below this video, as are links to any of our Matt's stuff that he wanted to put down there. So how did it start, Matt? Uh, gosh, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I, you know, I've written like I've written a story just like you've written, you know, several stories. And um, I mean, it started with, you know, I was a dyslexic kid who struggled in school and eventually ended up getting a degree and uh that was pretty much i hate to say this useless it was in fine arts <laughs> there's just what am i going to do with that uh and so i ended up having a girlfriend and i was or i was broke struggling you know uh was not making it and i ended up giving having a girlfriend who went to work for a subprime lender and she said you know you're just you're made for this you're absolutely made for this you've gotta you gotta do this and so i really just stopped working completely and went to work for this lender and they kind of they sent they sent you off and trained you and i came back and i started uh, originating mortgage loans and i think my very first loan was uh, i don't think i know my very first loan was fraud my very first loan my my the manager of the of the branch office I worked for for a company called Eagle Lending. She looked through the file. She took one piece of paper out and laid it to the side and said, "It's perfect, except there's a thirty. This person was thirty days late on their mortgage, and you. It's a deal killer. You're done. It's not going to close. I mean, I got I got Ford motor cars looking for my truck. I'm a month or two behind on my mortgage. Uh, my credit cards are getting cut up. I mean, it was, you know, it's bad. So it's like either I fix this or I'm moving back in with my parents. And she told me, hey, look, she said, I said, man, that's fraud. I, I get in trouble. And she goes, no, the worst that will happen if they catch it is, is that they'll fire you. You can always blame the, uh, the, the client, say you didn't know. She goes, you're not, nobody's calling the FBI. I was like, okay, so. I whited it out, I and mean, this is my manager told me to do it. I, I whited it out, I stuck it in the file, sweat bullets for five or six days, the loan closes, they cut me a check for $3,500. I mean, that was a lot of money. That was 50, it was 20, almost 20 years ago. 
<laughs> that caught up all my bills. So very quickly, like I closed like four loans like the first month. Then it was six. Then it was eight. Then it was 10. Then they make me a branch manager. Then they got me training people. I mean, it's, and very quickly, it, it escalates. It's like everything. You know, it starts small. And it just, before you know it, if you walked into my office, you know, with a pulse, I was getting you alone. I'm changing W-2s. I'm changing pay stubs. I'm making fake banks. I'm making fake, uh, uh, fake uh, bank statements. I mean, anything you needed, I was gonna, I could, I was gonna manufacture it because it was going right through. Everything was going through underwrite. Even when they caught it, even when they caught me, eventually I end up opening my own mortgage company. Even the times I got caught, and I don't mean got caught like with a, a little two hundred thousand dollar loan. I mean like we've closed seven or eight loans, maybe 10 loans with a company, and they've got $2 million worth of bad loans. And they stumble across it. The bank, the president would just call me and say, look, man, what's going on? Well, you know, I say, look, I don't, I don't know what happened. I don't know what this broker did that works for me. Cause I all, like I said, I opened my own place and I was like, I don't know what he did, but we need to work this out. Cause I don't have $2 million to cut you a check. So you know, and he would say, look, you know, let's, uh, I'm going to sell the paper. So he's now going to sell the, the bad paper. So he's going to sell it to household bank. And if it comes back on me, he goes, do me a favor and uh, you'll help me get, tell me you'll help me get rid of the loans. I was like, of course, absolutely. What am I going to say? No, you're on your own. So, you know, I don't want him calling the FBI. So it ends up, it, it just escalates to the point where eventually, you know, by this point, I'm married. I've got a kid. Uh, I've, I've got 13, 14 brokers working for me. They're all committing fraud. And eventually, a broker that used to work for me went and started her own company. And when she did, she did a bunch of fraudulent loans that came back on her. And the FBI came in. They indicted her and her husband. So they wore a wire on me because they knew my loans were fraudulent. They wore a wire on me and they ended up getting me indicted. And so I go in and I have, I hire this attorney. We, I plead guilty. I mean, I'm guilty. There's no, there's no getting around it. And I wasn't really, there was no chance I was going to go to prison. So, cause it, it was a minor, the charge they got me for was minor. It was lying on a, it was lying on a, like a mortgage application. It ended up being wire fraud. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, and there was no dollar loss. So I end up accepting the, I end up accepting the, uh, uh, I take a plea, I get three years probation, but I can't own the mortgage company anymore. So, you know, at that point, at that point, I, I, I really should have, <clears throat> I really should have gone out and gotten a job selling used cars or something. But, you know, I didn't really know what else to do. I don't have any, didn't have any experience in anything else. So I was getting a divorce. You know, basically my wife wiped me out. So I'm, I was just in a bad spot. And basically I could have moved home with mom and dad, but, you know, I'm 30 something, you know, I'm like 30 years old. So what I did instead was I figured, okay, you can either go the legit method and struggle or you can take it up a notch and you can try and pull off like start pulling off like a major fraud instead of this kind of this gray 
this grayish area that I, I felt like it was a gray area. I'm changing a number here. You know, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to figure out how to just start flipping properties. I was already flipping them. But the problem with flipping properties is this. You buy these houses for forty or $50,000. You put 20 in them. You sell them for 100. Your borrowers in these areas are shit borrowers. So they don't have good credit. They have bad job history. So they can barely get a loan. You usually have to give them their down payment. You have to pay their closing costs. You end up making $20,000, maybe $15,000. And it takes four months. So it's just not a lot of money for the headache unless you're doing multiple properties. And basically you end up being a glorified construction worker. So, and I didn't want to be a construction worker. So what I did was I figured my problem is not buying and fixing up the houses, it's the borrowers. So if I could figure out how to manufacture my own borrowers, then that would be a plus. They wouldn't complain about their interest rate. They, I could make all the payments and then I let the property go into foreclosure. So I figured out how to get, how to get, Social security, our credit bureau is based on social security numbers. Um, I'm sure you have some kind of a, a similar, uh, similar uh, system in place. But so I figured out how to get social security to issue social security numbers to children that don't exist. So I'm, I'm getting them to make social security numbers. Then I'm getting three secured credit cards and I'd make the payments. Well, in six months, you had like 720 credit scores. You had these amazing credit scores. And the person doesn't exist. <laughs> so I would go and I would buy these houses. And the other problem was this. One, of course, I now don't have to fix up the house. I can buy it for 40 and I don't have to fix it up because the, nobody's going to ever live there. Well, the other thing was getting the appraisals high enough. Like you really want to get a, an appraisal high. How do you do that? It's kind of, you know what it's like? It's you were in stocks, right? So it's like a pump and dump scheme. I went out and I started manufacturing sale prices at 200,000 one I'm buying houses for 40 and 50,000 and I'm, manu I'm recording the value of the sales price at 200,000. I was dating a girl at the title company. She told me how to do it. So now I bought the house. It looks like my fake borrower bought a house for 200,000. He really bought it for 40. I was then able to go back to the bank refinance the house for that was now worth two, 200,000. They'd lend him 160 or 180,000 because he has perfect credit. He bought it for 40. Maybe I put 10 in it, borrowed 160. I just made $100,000 minimum. I'd make three or four payments. I'd let the property go into foreclosure. So the name of the borrowers, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, is, uh, and I'm sure you saw the ship, is I named my borrowers like James Red, Michael White, Lee Black, William Blue, David Silver, Brandon Green. So it was green, black, blue, red. So it was, I was a big fan of Quentin Tarantino and I'd seen the movie uh, Reservoir Dogs. And I didn't name anybody Mr. Pink. So <laughs> what ends up happening is each guy bought about four or five houses borrowed about a million dollars in each guy's name, we would make about $600,000 per person. And I think, and towards the end, we had, the FBI said I had borrowed 11 and a half million in these guys, in my phantom borrower's names or 
they call them now synthetic identities. Like after I did it, when I went to prison, it started becoming like a thing. So they have, it has its own name now. So, so these synthetic identities would buy all these houses and we'd make some payments and they'd go into foreclosure. And then of course the banks start looking. Now the banks start coming around. They start sending investigators out to try and talk to you. They start sending um, collection notices. So I would, I would, I retyped an article in the, uh, in like the Tampa Tribune about, about a car crash where, where the, one of the, one of the people in the car crashes was life flighted to Tampa General Hospital. So I t put, I would put the name of my guy in it, reprint it on newsprint, cut it up. So it looks like it's on newsprint, cut it all up and then mail it to the collection agencies and the banks saying from this guy's imaginary sister saying that my brother was in a car accident. I know he's behind on the mortgage. You might as well take the house. Even if the doctors say, even if he comes out of the coma, he'll never work again. And they would stop calling. They'd stop sending letters in. They'd stop coming by. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was really, it was, a, I mean, this is going to sound horrible. It was a perfect fucking scheme, bro. It worked. It went years. I went years. Uh, I think I was only caught, caught one time by South Star Bank. They caught one of my guys and realized that this it's complete fraud. I, re I remember the broker came to me and said, look, the underwriter, the account executives is saying that the guy doesn't exist. The bank is on to it. So I ended up having to call the bank as this guy and say, look, this is who I am. Let, you know, I understand that I, I haven't made a payment. I'm, I'm putting it in the mail. They're like, no, no, it's way past that. We figured out the SOCH. We figured out that your driver's license was never issued. We figured out this. We figured out that. And I ended up convincing them to allow me to simply pay them back. <laughs> Let me just pay you back. Because otherwise, if they were like, oh, well, when we foreclose on the property, we'll get our money back. Like, no, no, no. You don't seem to understand. Your property's worth 40 grand. You lent me 150. So they go back and they look at the appraisal and I explain to them what I did and they, their, their attitude totally changed. They were like, okay, now Mr. Cox, let's, or Mr. You know, Mr. Whatever his name was, this was a, this wasn't one of the, one of the colored guys. This was one of the, um, this guy's was, I think this was Alan Duncan. He was like, Mr. Duncan, let's, let's, you know, we can work this out. So he, they let me pay him back. Never called the FBI. Uh, what else happened? I'm trying to think. The only other time I had an issue with it was one of the title agents. I don't know how how it is in uh, the UK. When you close, you have to go to either an attorney or you go to a title agent to handle all the paperwork. One of the we were convincing the title agents to to give me the all the paperwork, and I'll have my borrower sign. Like I'm not showing up with borrowers to sign. I'm taking the paperwork to them to sign. And then the title person would notarize that they'd seen them when they didn't. So finally, this woman says, listen, no, that's not happening anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. She's some, somebody had told her something. So I end up, I convince a guy to pretend to be him, to pretend to be a guy named James Red. 
<laughs> and I just so happened, I, you know, I was making fake the licenses and I'd make a copy of the license and I was using people's people that I knew had been arrested because I could get their photograph. And I had used the guy that was cleaning our vacant lots and doing a lot of the work on the houses. So I, his name, he was, his picture was James Red. So I call him up and I said, hey, can you come in the office? He comes in and I go, listen, I got to talk to you for a minute. And he goes, what? I said, you know, here's what I've been, what we've been, you know, the houses you've been cleaning? He goes, yeah. I said, here's what we've been doing. And I explained the whole thing. He goes, man, that's brilliant. He goes, wow. He said, uh, he said, so now this woman wants this guy, James Red, to show up and sign. And I went, yeah, exactly. He goes, man, who are you going to get to do that? And I went, well, I was thinking you, Eric. And his name was Eric Tamargo. And he goes, uh, I, was, I was thinking you, Eric. And he goes, oh, that's a big favor, bro. It's a big favor. And I went, well, I mean, what, you know, I'm willing to pay you. What do you, what do you want for it? He goes, man, I don't know. I don't know. That's a big favor, bro. He said, I'm not doing it for nothing. I said, yeah, well, what do you want? And I remember thinking, if he asks for more than ten or $15,000, i will i will go to another title company, and, I, and I'll walk in, and I'll do it myself. And he says, uh, he said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is you said that she's got a copy of the guy's ID. And I went, right. He said, well, she's going to know it's not me. I said, well, that's the thing, Eric. I've been using your ID, your picture of you uh, that's on the Hillsborough County on the arrest website on the Internet. I've been using your picture. He's you motherfucker. Well, he almost killed me. I've never been, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I remember I said, uh, I said, the only reason I used your ID was because I knew if it ever came down to this moment and I had to have somebody go in and sign, you were the only person I knew that had the balls to pull it off. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. It's a fucking, come on. It was a fluke. So anyway, he says, I'm not going to do it for free. I said, how much? I figure I'll pay him 10 or 15,000. He goes, 500 bucks. I want $500. And I went, $500? Eric, are you serious? It's a couple minutes work. And he goes, no, 500, that's it, bro. That's it. And I went, all right, all right. I said, well, you got to sign before I pay you. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'll sign. I was like, next day we go in. I make him a fake ID. He goes in. The woman actually pulls, brings the file with her, the picture, and looks at the picture and the ID, and she's like, dang. Like she was like, what is going on? So she lets him sign. He sees all the checks, 20000 here, 15000 here, 5000 here, he's, you know, 17000 here, and he realizes oh, this is a lot of money. <laughs> we get back in the car, and I, I pay him, and he goes, yeah, man, that's a lot of money. I said, a lot of that money goes back in the house, Eric. You know, we got to buy new houses. It's not like it's all free money. It was free money. But so a couple, about a week later, we have another closing and I call him back and he goes, okay, I'll sign, but I'm not signing for 500 bucks. He said, that's crazy. He said, I, I'm going to want way more than that. I said, Eric, I, I totally understand. How much do you want? And he goes, I want $1,000. $1,000. I just remember thinking, you know, I had to cover my face. Like I had to go, cause I'm, I'm like trying not to laugh. I'm just like, I want to say, are you fucking serious? We're going to make $80,000 on this transaction. You want fucking a thousand? Anyway, so I gave him, he went, he signed, gave him a thousand dollars. So, uh, 
I think that's about, you know what it is? So in it, what ends up happening is uh, a buddy of mine was running a scam. You know, at this point, I'm kind of surrounded by scam artists. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like selling ecstasy, like pretty soon every, you're in that, you get in that world and everybody, you know, suddenly, suddenly it's like, I don't really know that many normal people anymore. So a buddy of mine was running a scam. He ends up getting grabbed in a bank. He cooperates against me. He says, look, I know you got me, but I can tell you about a guy that's running a multi-million dollar scam in, in, in Tampa. And it wasn't hard to prove it because all he had to do was go on the, on the, on the, uh, pu in public records and say, you see these five houses, they were all bought by a guy named red. You see these 10 houses or these five or six houses, they were all bought by a guy named black. See these five green, you see these five. And so very quickly they're like, Whoa, Whoa, they're all going into foreclosure. So a task force is put together and uh, and eventually it's handed to the FBI. And I know something's going on. I know something's going on because like the chick I used to date at the title company, she calls me and says, look, we were just served with a bunch of subpoenas. Other title companies are calling me saying subpoenas. Lenders, account executive at lenders are calling saying we just got subpoenas. So I know something's happening. I kept telling myself, calm down. Don't, don't overreact. Maybe they'll, it won't go anywhere. They're never going to find these guys. You know, it's just delusional thinking. So uh, denial. And eventually I'm at work one day and I'm keep on, I'm on federal probation. I got a probation officer who's coming around twice, two, three times a month looking around. I mean, it's, so I'm going to be, I got a real problem if I get caught. So one day I have a buddy who's a sheriff's deputy. I did like whatever, like a million dollars worth of loans for, for he and his wife, really at least a million, might've been 2 million. Anyway, so he comes by one day, the office, and he says, can I talk to you for a second? I go, sure. What's up? He walks me outside and he, and he goes, listen, uh, I used to date a girl in the Tampa police department. I said, okay. He goes, she was a part of a task force that was investigating you. She came to me this morning and told me they handed the task force over to the FBI. He goes, you're going to be, yeah, it was a bad day. So he goes, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be arrested in a few days. So I was dating this girl. I'd known her a month. You know, it's the first month, you know, they're all amazing. The first month she seemed just awesome. So anyway, I start packing my bags because I'm leaving. I remember him, the cop was like, he was like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm out of here. I'm not staying around to go to prison. That's craziness. So he goes, okay. He said, well, what do I do? I said, well, nobody's going to believe you're involved anyway. Just tell them you, you came, you signed some papers and left. You didn't handle the loan. You're fine. You don't know how it works. I said, I'm not going to be around. So he goes, okay. Well, I'm packing my bags that night. First, I, you know, I only got out like 80 grand. Like I had like a day to get out 80,000 in cash. And I don't know how it is in the UK, but let me tell you, they don't want to give you your money. You walk in and ask them and they're like, what do you want it for? What are you doing? Well, I can't give you, you want $30,000. I can't give you $30,000. You got to go to a special branch and you guys like, this is my money. So I had people go in real quick with 
7,000, 5,000, 8,000, all under 10,000 increments of $10,000. So I got about 80 grand. I pack my bags. My girlfriend comes over because I missed a date. We were supposed to have a date or something. She shows up for the date or something like that. And she sees me packing. She's, I tell her what's going on. She begs to come with me, which was a major mistake. So she's like, look, I've never met anybody like you. Oh, my God. Of course, she sees all the money. You know, she sees the money. So she's only seen this amazing, you know, this young, good-looking guy at the time. You know, now I'm an old man. But, you know, so she's only seen this, this great life that I'm living, you know, great cars and houses and everybody's got money. So she wants to come with me. I should have known right there. She was insane. So, <laughs> I mean, think about it. So who, who, who does that? Who walks away their entire life? I'm going to prison. I, I have to walk away. I just, I don't know. Well, you went to, where'd you go? Arizona? Arizona State. Yeah. Did you ever have people that like actually like showed up at the, at the gate to serve their sentence? Oh, you mean when they got, people got released? No, I mean like, like you could plead guilty and then some, some people, they do what's called remand. They take you right then. Some people, you plead guilty to five years and they go, okay, we're going to let you stay out and just turn yourself into the prison next month. I was, on re I was on remand for 26 months. My bail was one and a half million. Yeah, well, no, you're not going anywhere. Plus, you're, you're not a U.S. citizen. You're, you're a flight risk. But yeah. guys would show up to the prison with like a five-year sentence or a 10-year sentence and like, oh, I'm here to do my sentence. You got to catch me. I'm not showing up to do my sentence. Absolutely not. So I take off. Uh, I run up all my credit cards, buy a bunch of shit, grab my the girlfriend. We take off. We go to Atlanta. We got we barely have any money. I would say this. It's, we had like 80000 And it sounds – people are like, that's not broke. Bro, 80000 on the run, two people, that's broke. That's not going to last long. What am I going to do? I'm going to go get a job as a waiter. So, so anyway, at this point, you know, I was manufacturing these identities, right? Like these people didn't exist. Well, I can't get pulled over by the police and give them a fake ID that I made. He's going to know. So I figured I have to start. You know, what do you do? So I need real identification. So I figure out we'd have to get real identification. So. One, I need money, and two, I need ident identification and new cars, everything. I'm driving around with the – I can't get pulled over. I'm done. So – and you know, and look, the United States is like a fucking police state, bro. You're getting pulled over all the time. I mean it could – it's not good. So, uh, so I go to Atlanta, and I figure out the best way to – steal someone's identity one I, I run some ads and i get some people's identities just run some ads saying hey home loans available good credit bad credit no problem people call up the number they apply for a loan they give me everything i need to to steal their identity then i go get a driver's license in their name get a passport the whole thing but what i figure out right away is that these people some of these people have duis uh, you know where they've been arrested for being drunk they, they lose their licenses like i could be driving around on somebody's driver's license that has lost it. So they're flying the ointment. So I figure, I figure if I, what I need to do is get people's identification that aren't using it. And so that ended up being, and I realized it was homeless people. So I start making surveys 
to survey homeless people because I don't want them to know they, they gave me their ID. So I go out and I, I say I work for the Salvation Army. Do you know what the Salvation Army is? Yes. Okay. So I make a, a, a survey and I get a badge saying I'm the Salvation Army, work for the Salvation Army, and I start surveying homeless people. So I've got to find white guys in their early 30s who are homeless. There's not a lot of them. But so I'm, take, I'm going out and I'm saying, hey, look, uh, you know, I'm taking a survey for the Salvation Army to try and determine where we're going to place our next homeless facility. It pays $20 cash right now. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah. Right now you're going to give me 20. Yes. Okay. And they'd fill it out. Well, now I have enough information to order your birth certificate, your high school transcripts, your social security card. I registered a boat in your name. Um, I can order credit cards in your name. I can get all this information. I can go into the local DMV. And when I go in the DMV, I say, well, not the local DMV. I go into a DMV where you've never had a driver's license because the state DMVs don't cross-reference. You can't pull up. If you're in Arizona, you can't pull up my picture from Florida. So I, if this guy had a driver's license in Florida, I go to Alabama. I think I've had uh, 27, what they say? The Secret Service said I had 27, the 26 driver's licenses in seven different states or something. And like I've had like two dozen passports. Anyway, so I end up getting these guys' information. I, we're in Atlanta. We rent a house. I go down to public records and I, I manufacture a satisfaction of lien. So I satisfy the lien from Bank of America that's on the house. So I then go to three different lenders at the same time and I have them all come out to the house. I say I'm the homeowner. This guy's name's Michael Shanahan. Each one of them says they'll lend me $150,000. So I close all the loans at the same time. Now, there's no lien on the house now. I've satisfied it. It looks like like in Florida or in Florida, in the U.S. public records, they record the deed, which says you own the house. And then under the deed, it'll say the mortgage. Like you have a lien on the house and you have to make payments for this long. Well, when that lien gets paid off, Bank of America sends a satisfaction of lien in. That says, hey, this is Bank we're Bank of America. This guy paid us off. So now if you pull the title, it says that Michael Shanahan owns the property and he has paid off the lien that was on it. He doesn't owe any money. And I'm Michael Shanahan. So I call up three guy three lenders. They come out, they look at the house, they say they'll lend me 150000 So I borrow about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars on the house, all within the same day or two. Oh, it's just a, the whole system's completely flawed. It's completely fucked up. You have to have a certain skill set to pull it off, obviously. But really, it's just so damaged. So they lend me the money. I take the checks. I deposit the checks into bank accounts that I've opened up in a variety of different people's names. And I then go in, and my girlfriend and I go in, and we start cashing checks which the money's there. So it's not a big deal because the money's there. You go in and say, hey, I need $9,000 and they check. He's got $9,000. Give him nine. It's his check. Give him 9,000. So we had to try and get out like 400, $450,000 in uh, as quickly as possible. And uh, 
so the only time I got the close call there was sometimes they would, you know, a lot of times they would, sometimes they would call the, the, they would call to verify, you know, they'd call to verify the checks. So they do that sometimes. Like if I cut a check or you get a cashier's check and you go to cash it, they'll call to say, hey, did you write this check, right? And then the guy who owns the account says, yes, I did. And he says, okay, and they cash it. So what happens is I walk into a bank one time. We were cashing little checks, 3,000, 9,000, 7,000. So one day I have a check for 29 grand. And I'm like, this is taking forever. I'm just going to go cash this check. And she goes, well, we're supposed to try and stay under 10,000, but you know, do what you want to do. I go, okay. And then keep in mind, this chick is crazy. Every time I go in the bank, she's saying stuff like, what if you get caught? And I go, well, if I get caught, you get me a lawyer and you get me out of prison or you get me out of jail as quickly as possible. They won't be arresting me as Matt Cox. They'll be arresting me as, as, um, you know, uh, as um, like Scott Cugno, or they'll be arresting me at people's, I was using real IDs. So they're gonna arrest me as this guy, he's a real person. So my identity isn't in question, so they're not gonna run my prints right away. So you can probably get me out before that happens. Now this was, this was 15 years ago. So they didn't have like the scanners where you put your thumbprint or your, they didn't have that yet. And these were, these are county sheriffs and stuff. They charge them. In the U.S., they get charged to run an APHIS report. So they're not – if you have an ID, why would they, why would they run your – they don't run your prints. His, he's, it's not in question. I'm going to put this on uh, – Yeah, put it on silent, please. Yeah, I just totally realized that. Sorry. That's man. okay. Airplane mode. So what ends up happening is I go in this bank. The guy says – I say I want to cash a check for twenty nine thousand. My name is my name is Scott Cugno, and I have a cashier's check written on your bank. So I say, here's the check, and they go, uh, well, the cashier says, well, you're gonna to have to talk to the bank manager. I go sit down in his office. He comes in. He says, well, what are you cashing the check for? And I went, he goes, why don't you deposit it in your bank account? I said, because my bank account's in Florida. And I'm in Georgia, and they're gonna hold it. And it's a cashier's check. It's good. And he goes, yeah, okay, well, all right. Let me check. So he goes, he comes back. He goes, well, what, what do you use the cash for? The fuck? It's, it's really none of a business. But I went, um, you know, it's an easy question. And I said, well, I'm, I work for a company that, you know, a, like a labor company. We do, we do construction work. And some of the con contractors or the, some of the construction workers, we pay them and they don't have bank accounts. So I was going to cash their checks for them. He goes, okay, that makes sense. So he leaves. My girlfriend calls me. She's like, what's going on? I go, the guy's, he's, you know, he's giving me a hard time. He thinks something's wrong. She's like, get out of the bank. I'm like, I can't get out of the bank. He's got my ID, my social security number. He's got my credit cards. He's got the check. If I walk out, he'll know something's wrong. I got to wait. She's like, oh my God. Oh my. So I hang up. A couple minutes later, he comes back. He asked me some other question. How'd you get the check? I said, well, my company, we did a, we, remodeled this guy's house and he cut me a check. This is from his, he refinanced his house and he cut me a check. This is the check. It's a cashier's check, right? It's good. He's, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. He leaves again. She calls me. What's going on? Look, calm down. He's got my shit. He's, he's just being an asshole about it. And she's like, 
get out of the bank. I go, I cannot get out of the bank. I said, look, worst that happens, if I get arrested, you get me a lawyer and get me out. And she's like, oh my God, I'm, so, I'm freaking out. I go, well, calm down. So I hang up the phone. And he comes back again. And he goes, okay, what about this? He asked me some other question. I went, you know, and I answer it. He goes, who gave you the check? And I go, a guy named Michael Shanahan. And he goes, you see, I'm cashing the check as Scott Cugno, an, an ID I've stolen, a driver's, uh, an identity I've stolen that I got a driver's license in. And so he's like, Mr. Cugno, who gave you the check? And I go, Michael Shanahan. I'm also Michael Shanahan. And he goes, okay, that makes sense. So he walks off. He comes back later and she calls again. He comes back later and he says, okay. And I go, what's taking so long? And he goes, well, we're trying to get a hold of Michael Shanahan to verify the check. And I'm like, oh, okay. My phone rings. It's the girl. It's the girl. She's like, what's that? They're trying to verify Michael. It's Michael Shanahan. She's like, oh my God, get out of the bank. I'm like, I can't, I can't. I hang up the phone. A minute later, my phone rings again, but it's not her. It's not Becky. The girl's name is Becky. And I look at it and it's a number I don't recognize. So I answer and I go, hello? And they go, hi, is this Michael Shanahan? I said, yes, it is. And I'm looking around the bank and she goes, hi, uh, we, have a, uh, we have someone at the bank uh, trying to cash a check. Could you verify you know, the, uh, the check? And I was like, yeah, it's $29,000. I said, I think it's, you know, she was this guy named uh, Scott Cugno. I went, right. She says, can you verify the amount? And I go, right. Scott Cugno is $29,000. And she goes, oh, okay. I remember I asked her, how'd you get this number? And she goes, we called the title company who issued the check. And they gave us your phone number. Think about it. She could have called. What if she had called? If she called information, she could have got the number. They could have got the number a dozen different ways. They happened to call. So I was like, oh, okay. So I hang up the phone. I wait a minute. The manager comes out with this woman. I don't know if it's the same chick, but they count out $29,000. I take the $29,000. I stand up. I'm stuffing the money in my pockets. And he goes, Mr. Cugno, he goes, uh, I said, yeah, what's, what's going on? He goes, I'd like to say something. He said, I feel very apprehensive about this transaction. And I go, really? What is it? And he goes, I can't put my finger on it. And I went, well, it'll come to you. And I walk right off out of the bank. I remember getting in the car laughing, my going, oh, my God, you're not going to believe this. So anyway, we never, I never cashed a check for anything over over $10,000 again. So anyway, what happens is we cash, we get like four, four, a little over 400, close to 450,000. There's, there's fees and shit. So I don't know, roughly 450,000. And then we leave and the secrets, we drop our cars off. We relocate the scam to South, to uh, North Carolina, to Charlotte, North Carolina. And the secret service shows up. There's a, not the FBI, but the secret service shows up because it was Secret Service investigates anything that has to do with, of course, they protect the president of the United States, but they also investigate anything that has to do with the financial infrastructure of the United States and uh, identity theft. So I had identity theft and I had bank fraud. So they enter the picture, they rate, they come and they, you know, keep in mind the FBI raided my office like five, four or five days after I left. Secret Service shows up at, in Atlanta a week after I've left. So I go to North Carolina and I, I go to, I pop back into South Carolina and I buy a house 
buy a couple of houses and I do the same thing. I satisfy the loans on the houses. I actually convince the owners to, to owner finance me the house. So I buy the houses. I then go to public records and I satisfy the loans on the houses. I then go to multiple banks and I borrow $1.3 million on the houses. So, I mean, you know, at this point, I really, the money's going fast. Like we've been to Jamaica, we've gone to Mexico, we've gone to Bermuda. I mean, we're going all over the place. We're, we're going to Vegas. We're, we're blowing money. This chick's a maniac. She's, she's bipolar. She's up and down. She won't take her medication. She's got the cops called on me a few times. She's just, in, she's just insane. I can't, I, I'm terrified of her. So we end up, I, we go to South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, and I buy two houses and I borrow $1.3 million and we're pulling money out. We get out like five, $600,000. And so halfway through the scam, I go into a bank and it, it turns out that it just so happens that one of the loan officers had gone on vacation and had never ordered title work. So by the time she gets back from vacation and orders the title work, the other loans have all closed. I'm closing two, three loans a day at one point. So they all close right away. Or, so they all get missed. But when she orders it, she orders it a couple weeks later. So if an, if an abstractor were to go down to public records, they would see all these loans being filed. And they would know it's a scam. And that's exactly what happened. So I walk into Wachovia, there used to be Wachovia Bank. So I walk into this bank, Wachovia Bank, and I get like $8,000. I'm cashing a check for seven or 8,000, something like that. These two sheriffs come up behind me and they grab me and they handcuff me behind my back. So uh, they pull me in this side room and they tell me, you know, the guy grabs my ID and he says, you know, uh, and at this point I was, I was a guy named Gary Sullivan. I had surveyed a, a homeless guy named Gary Sullivan in Las Vegas. Gary Sullivan was homeless, but he had also been arrested multiple times for prostitution. So I order all of his documents. I go get a driver. Uh, I go to get a, a South Carolina ID, not a driver's license, just an ID in his name. And I'm driving a car that's in another guy's name. All that guy, I had a driver's license. So I'm in the, I'm in there. I'm handcuffed. They said the sheriffs say, listen, the deputies say, listen, we're waiting for the detective to show up, Mr. Sullivan. And they go, okay, so it'll just be, so they keep calling me Mr. Sullivan. And I'm thinking, okay, they don't know who I am. Like I thought this is it. So the detective shows up and he says, hi, listen, uh, Mr. Sullivan, my name's detective, whatever. Wachovia has a, a fraud alert out on you. They're saying they are saying you've committed some kind of what's called a shotgunning scam. You've closed a bunch of loans in the, on the same house, and you have three mortgages on the same house. I actually had six, but they'd only caught three. So I looked at him and I went, "He goes, so Wachovia said you have three mortgages on the house." And I go, "Is that illegal?" And he goes, "You know, I don't know." He goes, "But they're upset about it." So let's call him. So I get him to take the handcuffs off me. So, you know, and I'm sitting there and they call, he calls and he goes, do you have your, your, uh, do you have your ID? And I went, no, I said, you know, he's, this guy's got it. And so he's like, oh yeah, I got it. So 
they call Wachovia as the head of the fraud department. And he gets on the phone and he's telling him, look, this guy's running a, a what's called a, it's called a shotgunning scam. He closed a bunch of loans so quickly. We don't know, you know, we couldn't catch it in time. He's pulling out the cash. We've got him. You got to arrest him. He's like, yeah, but for what? He goes, so he's got three, he goes, he's got three first mortgages. And I went first mortgages. I said, yeah, but honestly, that, I said, I don't have first mortgage. I have a first mortgage. I have a second mortgage and I have a, I have a, a home equity line of credit. So Wachovia is screaming, that's a lie. That's not true. And I went, no, no. I said, Wachovia lent me a first mortgage. So I'm going, I'm arguing with the detective and the guy from Wachovia. Now, I know way more than he knows because I'm saying the mortgages never said first mortgage, second mortgage. They don't. They don't state. They just, the placement of the mortgage is what determines uh, whether it's a first, second, or third, whatever. So I explained that, and he's like, yeah, you're right. So they go back and forth, back and forth. This guy on the phone is screaming. I, I Eventually, the, I got the detective. He's calling me Gary. You know, I'm calling him Mark or whatever his name is. <laughs> I'm making faces like, are you serious? This guy's saying, well, I would never. And I said, look, I said, I think, at one point, I lean and I go, I think they've got a problem with the bank. And he goes, he goes, yeah, you know, I think you have a problem with the bank. This guy's going nuts. Arrest him, arrest him. So I said, look, let, what makes more sense? I said, I work for a labor company, you know, and I pull out a, a business card and I said, I, and it's like labor on demand. So I said, I work for a labor company. What makes more sense? A guy that works for a labor company that has no experience in, in finance or in banking convince three lenders to lend half a million dollars on a house or that a bunch of loan officers got together and figured out how to how to lend this guy all the money and make some fees for themselves i wouldn't know how to pull this off if i tried so he goes yeah it doesn't make sense this guy wouldn't know what he's i mean i've got the i get the detective on my side i remember at one point the guy from wachovia screams his license or his ID is fake. He was, it, it starts with zero, zero, zero. It wasn't fake though. It was really issued by, by, the, by South Carolina, DMV. So he goes, no, no, I ran him through NCIC. It's the National Criminal Database. He goes, NCIC myself, it's him, his, he's Gary Sullivan. And I go, oh, come on, bro. Now I'm not Gary Sullivan. I go, what are we doing here? This is ridiculous. So he's like, I know, Gary, I know. So he tells him, okay, look, I'm going to, I'm not going to arrest him. I'm going to have him follow me to the police station. I'm going to have him fill out a police report and I'll let you know what the, what the district attorney says. I wouldn't even know what to charge him with. He hangs up the phone and he says to me, will you follow me back? And I said, yeah, of course I'll follow you back. Of course, of course, Mark or whatever his name was. I mean, we're buddies. So the two deputies are still there. So this guy says, okay, so he goes, do you have his ID? And he goes, yeah, he goes, I, he's got an ID. He goes, do you have a driver's license? Cause you're going to follow me back in your car. Do you have a driver's mm -hmm. license? And I went, you know, I do, but it's in Nevada. And he goes, I said, it's a Nevada driver's license. I said, I don't have it with me. I just have a South Carolina ID. And he goes, he said, oh, that's right. You're from Nevada originally. And I realized he ran me through NCIC, remember? He, so he thinks I've been arrested multiple times for prostitution because the, the homeless guy, Gary Sullivan, had been arrested for prostitution. He thinks I'm a male prostitute. 
And I was just like, fuck. He looks at the – they all kind of grin at each other, and I'm like, fuck. This is ridiculous. So he lets me follow him in the car – in my car back to the police station. Oh, this is the best part. One of the deputies takes my ID and says, I'll run it. Let me check. He goes out to his car. He runs Gary Sullivan's name in, through the system, and he comes back, and he says, it, he says, uh, yeah, he's got a valid driver's license in Nevada. Couldn't fucking believe it. And he goes, and keep in mind, I'm five foot six. So he says, he goes, oh, he goes, it checks out. He goes, well, it says he's 5'10". And they all look at me, and I go, fellas, with a good pair of shoes? And they all go, ha, 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 follow us to the police station. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. So I go to get in my car. Listen to this. I get in my car, and my phone's been ringing off the hook. Back, the girl, Becky's been calling and calling. And I pick it up, and I'm like, uh, hey, what's going on? She goes, oh, my God, you won't believe this. She goes, you're, you're number one on the Secret Service's most wanted list. I mean, I got bigger problems that I was just caught in the fucking bank. I'm now driving to the police station to fill out a police report. And she goes, get on the interstate, get on the interstate. And I go, I can't. There's the cops are behind me. The detectives in front of me. What am I going to do? I got to play this out. I said, look, the worst that'll happen is you get me a lawyer and get me out. And she goes, I'm not getting you a lawyer. I'm not getting you out on bond. She had like six or seven hundred. She had, yeah, about six hundred thousand in cash. She goes, I'm not risking everything I've got for you. She had all of our money. So I remember I said, listen, I said, then I better not get arrested. So I go in the police department. I fill out the police report. The detective talks to the, his lieutenant. He comes back. He tells me, ask me to wait in the hallway. He didn't want to leave me in his cube. They had like cubicles. And he didn't want to leave me in the cubicle. He goes, can you wait? I can't leave you here. Can you wait in the hallway? Sure. So I stand in the hallway, and there's all these wanted posters on the wall. My Secret Service most wanted – my Secret Service poster was on the wall, the only color poster. I was like, fuck. So he comes up. He sees like, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead and – I'm not going to detain you any longer. He, he did talk – I think he said he did talk to the district attorney, and she's looking into it. He goes, do me a favor. Don't go anywhere. I said, I own two houses here. Where am I going to go? I work here. And he's like, okay, okay, yeah. So I get in my car. I Becky's calling. She, I'm like, she, I'm like, hey, what's up? And you know, I'm like, what the? I remember I got on the phone. I was like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> um, and she's like, oh no, I was on my way. I was coming. I was just trying to get you to get on the interstate. It's like, so I remember I drive right from there. I drove straight to I drove straight to the bank and got out another nine grand. I went to another bank and got out another eight or nine grand. Went to another bank and then the women that were there, I could tell they they tried to like grab the phone. They went for the phone and picked it up when I walked in, turned around, got in my car and left. Drove to uh where did I go? Yeah, you know what you know I was gonna say, you know what's upsetting is that the satisfaction of loans I signed one of them I ended up signing. Uh, do you ever watch The Simpsons? Occasionally. Yeah. I watch, I signed like uh, C. Montgomery Burns, which is the aging tycoon, you know, the guy that owns the power plant. 
So that didn't, you know, I thought I was cute. It, it wasn't cute. When I got in front of the judge, he didn't think it was cute at all. So anyway, what ended up happening was we, I drove to meet Becky. By then, we'd relocated to Houston, Texas. So I go to Houston. I meet her. We get into this huge argument because I'm furious that she was going to leave me. We get into this huge argument. I tell her I want to split the money because it's like 600000 I left over. I left like 600000 in the banks. So, yeah, that was hard to walk away from. So <clears throat> we argue. She says, look, you know, she's telling me she's going to call the police. Like, I'm not giving you. She's like, I'll give you like 10 grand. I'm like, 10 grand? You know, she, she goes, yeah. And I said, no, no, we're, we need to split it up. We start arguing. I told her, look, we don't come up with a fair number. I said, I say 300000 each. She goes, no. She goes, you'll go steal some more money. I can't do it. She goes, I can't do what you do. And I was like, okay, so how about this? I said, uh, you know, come up with something reasonable. I said, I'm going to take it all. And she goes, she goes, you take it all. She said, I'll call the police. and They'll, they'll grab you. You know, so she ends up giving me $100,000 of the money that I rightfully stole. So that's my, I mean, I know what you're thinking, but that's my money. So I get 100000 I go to Char back to Charlotte to get my car. So I remember I got my car, drove down. It was a parking lot. We lived in the middle of downtown. Drove down, went to a Starbucks. And when I was at the Starbucks, um, I walk in there and I, I order a coffee and I'm waiting for the barista to, to make the coffee. And there were two employees from my apartment complex. Oh, you know what I, I, I didn't mention? This is, this is so stupid. I don't even know why this is bad. Look, on my way to Charlotte, I actually called the FBI agent. That was looking for me. I only called her. It seems cocky. I know it seems arrogant, but I only called her because I called home to talk to my ex-wife and talk to my mom. And I called a friend of mine, one of my old brokers. And she said, look, I talked to the FBI agent. You know, everybody had already been interviewed. They'd all, they were all ready to cooperate against me. So she said, I talked to her. She wants you to call. She has to call her. And I went, are you fucking? I said, no, I don't think so. She goes, no, call her. Maybe you can turn yourself in. Maybe you can work something out. So I said, okay. You know, she was like, it can't hurt. So I call. She gives me, she gives me the phone number, and I call the phone number. And the woman's name was an FBI agent, Candace Calderon. This was, this is a, this is a rough chick. Um, she's not a fan. So she, uh, I call her. I talk to her. She, um. So she's real cocky on the phone. You know, I said, hey, this is Matt Cox. I understand you wanted me to call you. And she's like, yeah, hey, Mr. Cox. She's like, uh, I'd like for you to turn yourself in. I go, eh, that's not going to happen. And she goes, okay. She, I said, well, what, what else can I do for you? And she goes, well, let's talk about you turning yourself in. She said, I said, well, how much time am I, what, what, how much time am I looking at if I turn myself in? She goes, well, that's not how it works. The way it works is you turn yourself in and then we determine how much, you know, what, what, what we're going to consider it, how much we're going to take off your sentence for turning yourself in. I went, no, nah, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. I said, I, 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 I need to know up front. She goes, well, let me call the U.S. attorney. Well, no, first she, what she said was she kept calling me sweetie. 
It just fucking pissed me off. She's like, listen, sweetie. She goes, you're going to get caught eventually. I said, oh, yeah. She's like, yeah. She goes, let me explain something. She goes, we're not, I remember she goes, we're 90% sure of where you're at. I go, yeah, well, only 100% counts, sweetie. And she goes, listen, she goes, you're going to, she goes, you're going to fuck up eventually. She goes, eventually you're going to go home. Somebody will recognize you. She goes, or you will, she goes, uh, she goes, or somebody will, somebody will wreck it. Somebody, some police officer will recognize you or something will happen and you'll, you're going to get pulled over by the police and they'll, they'll figure out who you are and arrest you. And she goes, you're going to get caught eventually. I said, yeah. I said, she says, we almost know, we're basically almost know where we, we're going to catch you. And I said, what's, what's taking so long? I said, first of all, I said, I've been pulled over by the police. I said, I've gotten multiple tickets in other people's names. I've been, I even went to traffic school as somebody else. <laughs> so I've got a dozen passports. I've been in and out of the country as other people. I said, I've had plastic surgery. Bro, I've had my nose done. I had hair transplants. I had a fucking, I had a, a what's called a mini facelift. I had liposuction. I've had everything. If you look at the pictures of me before and you look at me now, vastly different. So I say, yeah, that's, that's, I said, that's not going to happen. I said, I'm not going back to Tampa and nobody's going to recognize me. And she goes, you are a cocky shit, aren't you? <laughs> We're like back and forth, bro. So anyway, she says, I'll call the U.S. attorney and I'm going to find out what, what I can do for you. I said, okay. So she goes, call me back. No, she, she goes, I'll call you back. What's the phone number? You're, what, what phone number are you calling from? And I went, oh. <laughs> I said, no, I said, you're probably triangulating this or something. And I remember she goes, she goes, get over yourself. She goes, you're not that important. And I remember thinking, I was like embarrassed. I remember being like, yeah, who, I'm nobody. Well, who do I think I am? And then, but for some reason I went, nah, I'll call you back. And I shut off my phone. So. I found out later when I ordered something called the Freedom of Information Act, and it gives you all the documents in your case, that she actually hung up the phone and called the U.S. Marshals, and they dispatched. They couldn't track the phone, but they tracked it back to where it had been sold. So two marshals jumped in a car and were driving towards the location of where I was. So I call her back like an hour later. I go and I get in, in the truck. I was driving a U-Haul truck. Because I had moved my stuff to Houston, and my car was in Charlotte. So I drive, get in the truck, and I'm driving. She calls me back, and she's like, okay, listen, I talked to him seven years. And I went, seven years. She goes, seven years. Turn yourself in in Tampa. Come back to Tampa. I can get you seven years. I was like, nah, I don't know about seven years. Seems excessive. I said, I'm thinking maybe two or three years. And she's like, you know, uh, and she's like, well, no, I can't do that. I don't know that I can do that. I said, well, you need to figure it out. I said, does that, and I said, why don't I turn myself in in Atlanta? And she goes, no, you have to turn yourself in in Tampa. And I went, well, Atlanta's closer to me where I'm at. No, no, you turn yourself in Tampa. And I went, well, what did the Atlanta U.S. attorney said, say? And she went, make sure you, you don't go to Atlanta, go, to, go here because we want to be able to interview you and this. And I went, okay. I said, I, I understand. I said, but First of all, I said, I don't know that seven, I'm going to take seven years. Secondly, I said, what did the U.S. attorney in Atlanta say? Because they still don't know about South Carolina. So I'm trying to get it all you know, uh, put into one case. And so 
she dodges a question three or four times. Finally, I go, I've asked you three fucking times. and You keep not answering. What did the Atlanta U.S. attorney say? You're talking to the Tampa one. What did Atlanta say? She goes, well, I don't know. I go, how much time do I have to do in Atlanta? It's all included, right? And she's like, well, I don't know. You have to take that up with Atlanta. And I said, oh, hell no. You're telling me that seven years just for Tampa? What about that's That ended up being $11.5 million. What are they going to do in Atlanta? And what are they going to do when they find out about the $1.3 million? That's another almost $2 million. After, while I'm on the run, it's not good. So I, she said, I said, oh, man, you almost had me there. And she goes, look, I can call them. I said, man, lady, I wouldn't believe you if you told me water was wet. And I, I fucking chucked the phone out because I figured I'm doing at least 14 or 15 years now, uh, at least. Plus, I was on probation. They, they have a real issue with you being on probation, committing additional crimes. Now they really hammer you. So I'm fucked. So I drive back to South Carolina. I get my car. I drive down the parking garage. I go to the Starbucks across the street. From, it's like catty corner. It's like a block, or two, a block and a half away from my apartment complex. So I park my car right out front. I go in. I'm waiting for my coffee. There's two people from the apartment complex. And so they're looking at me real weird, like, what? And I keep, they keep looking at me. They have this, like, this little argument between them, this little discussion. And then the female uh, employee from the apartment complex leaves. And the guy's standing there holding, like, the tray of coffee, staring at me. So I get my coffee. I go in. I get my mm. coffee start my car. He comes out and he's standing on the, on the sidewalk, just staring at me. And I remember thinking it was like the fourth and my rent was due on the first and I hadn't paid my rent because I'd been driving around. I hadn't been there. So I thought it had something to do with my rent being late. I start my car. I'm looking about to pull out and he starts screaming on the sidewalk. He's right there. He's right there. Turns out that the U.S. Marshals had been at the apartment complex interviewing everybody. And the female agent ran back to get him. And then they were running at, they were, I look at my rearview mirror. They're probably two or 300 feet behind me running. And I just punched it and fucking hauled ass. I mean, you know, it's probably, it probably sounds more giraffe than it was. I mean, I was lucky. I was already in the car. I'm already started, but I mean, fuck, they were right there. Like if I hadn't have been, this guy had really, honestly, they probably would have grabbed me if he hadn't screamed. So I have no IDs, no driver's licenses, nothing because be all Becky had them all. The only one I have is a guy named Michael Eckert. And I, I can't use Michael Eckert because the, they know about Michael Eckert because they just went to his apartment. That the car I was driving was in Michael Eckert's name. The police officer in South Carolina had seen it and took the tag number down. So I drive immediately to a homeless facility and I survey a bunch of guys and I get three or four different <laughs> fucking things, uh, their information. I then drive this car that they're now looking for. I drive to Tennessee. And that's like a six-hour drive. Drive all the way to Tennessee. I then order all these guys' information. So I get their information. I go get a driver's license in the name uh, Joseph Carter. So 
and I end up being Carter. I then take that car and I drive the car all the way back to South Car to, to North Carolina and I park the car in a long-term parking. I get on a plane, I fly back to Tennessee. I go get a, I, I, of course I get, I've got a driver's license. I go get a new car, order the credit cards, put, the, put money down and start buying houses. I mean, I need some money. I don't have very much money. I got like a hundred grand. So I, in, in Nashville, I borrow 3.5 million. Same thing. I buy a bunch of cheap houses. I record the values. I buy them in other people's names, record the values, pull out money, get about $3.5 million. And I was dating this girl named uh, Amanda. Gosh, she was amazing looking. So I'm dating this chick. And she, we end up moving in together and we end up seeing another girl. So this other chick's coming over a couple times a week, right? And, uh, well, that girl, although I like to think she liked me, she definitely liked Amanda. And at some point, I, we found out that, keep in mind, this whole time, there are multiple newspaper articles coming out. The Chicago Tribune, Tampa Times, Tampa Tribune, St. Petersburg Times. Um, uh, I was in a Bloom, a Bloomberg Business Week, Fortune Magazine. I mean, so this is, it's getting crazy and I'm still committing crimes. So what ends up happening is we find out Dateline is gonna come out. You know, Dateline NBC News. So they were coming out and they were doing a one-hour special on me. So that's not good. It was the first time that it was like, okay, this is going to be national news. I may get recognized at this point. So what I end up doing is I decide I'm just going to cash out some of this money, get a couple million dollars, and I'm, I'm going to go to Australia because I researched Australia. Would, it would allow you to come and you could become a permanent resident alien, and you didn't actually have to get fingerprinted at that time. They'd let you buy houses. So you couldn't get a job, but you could start your own business if you showed up with like $100,000. So it was perfect. So I could show up with a fake ID or a driver's license in a homeless guy's name. I could become a permanent resident alien. I never have to get fingerprinted. Not that I don't think I could figure out how to get around that, but it just seemed like, uh, seemed, you know, doable. So what happens is, we're cashing checks, and at some point, my girlfriend, Amanda, tells the other girl that we were sleeping with who I am. She contacts the Secret Service. Secret Service sets up a surveillance, and long story short is they grab me. They end up arresting me. I get... Uh, Oh, and Becky had gotten arrested too. Remember I told you I took the money and left? She'd been arrested already. So she'd already cooperated against me. Everybody cooperated against me. So anyway, I ended up getting, uh, I get grabbed. When I get grabbed, the U.S. attorney, you know, they come to me and they say, look, uh, well, first I get a public defender because, of course, they don't let you keep your money. How, how did they grab you first? Uh, how they grabbed me? Oh, yeah, well, what did they get you at? Oh, pulling into my house. Like we'd had a, a robbery and I'd gotten the robbery on film. 
So they called me to say, hey, can you meet us at your house? This is the local police. You know, I have no problem with having interaction with law enforcement because I, I always had valid driver's licenses, valid passports. I had just come back from, I'd just gone to, in, in the last month or so, I'd gone to Greece, I'd gone to Italy, and we'd gone to Croatia. So, you know, we just flown back in like a month. So I, I'm no problem. I've got all the correct identification. So they call me up and they say, hey, can you meet me at the meet us at the house? We want to get the video of this burglary that happened. It was a home invasion. But, you know, yeah, they kicked in the door. It was a whole fucking thing. But I don't I don't want you know, I'm, I'm skipping parts of the story because. Um, so they call up and say, will you come, you know, meet us there? And I was like, sure, no problem. Well, that had been orchestrated by the Secret Service and Trina. Or the, the girl that we were sleeping, I was sleeping with. So we go, I, I pull in, and when I pull in, I'm talking to Amanda on the phone, and she's saying, look, Trina called me. I, I think she might have done something. And I go, well, what do you mean? She doesn't know anything. She's like, I, I fucked up. I think I might have fucked up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I'm getting out of the car, and as soon as I get out of the car, you know, this fucking, these cars come pulling in. They, they jump out. They've got the guns. They're screaming, you know, get on the ground, get on the ground. They got the these black. They're all in black with these vests. And it says Secret Service. And they scream at me to get on the ground. And I'm just yeah, I'm just I went numb. I didn't get on the ground. What's so funny is I just stood there. I was like, you know, looking around and the guy actually walks all the way up to me. And then he holsters his gun and puts his hand on my shoulder and says, get on the ground. And I went, oh, shit, I'm sorry, bro. There were so many of them yelling, and I just went totally numb. So I lay on the ground. I get up. They come over to me. And the guy says, uh, is it him? There's like four, like three or four agents around me now. They're holding up my, my wanted poster. They're like, is it him? And one guy says, no, nah, it's not him. That's not him. Fuck. And the other guy goes, no, it's him. It's him. Nah, look at his eyes. That's him. And he goes, he goes, hey, how you doing, Mr. Cox? He goes, we've been looking for you. And I was like, he's like, you are Matt Cox, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, what am I going to, I know I'm done. It's over. Keep in mind, too, when they, they like, they, I, I've got a passport in the name of somebody else. I've got, I'm just, it's over. So they, they end up transporting me from Nashville, Tennessee to Atlanta, Georgia. And when I'm in Atlanta, they give me a, you know, you don't have any money. They, they've taken all my money. The first thing they do is strip all the, all your money. Even if I had made legitimate money, they won't give you the legitimate money. You have to prove that it's legitimate money. Well, how am I? I'm in the middle. How I'm incarcerated. How am I going to prove anything? So they pull. They give me a U.S. Uh, a public defender, federal public defender. A federal public defender says, "Listen, you got like." 15 or 20 co-defendants. All of them have cooperated against you. You're done. The, the U.S. Attorney's Office wants to talk to you. They're saying you've stolen over 50. Yeah, they said I'd, I forget what they said. Oh, they said I had over 50 bank, 50 victim banks. I'd stolen $26 million dollars. My mortgage company was responsible for $40 million in fraud. And look, I mean, the numbers are outrageous. It's like I've never seen 
$26 million. Maybe the mortgage company did $40 million. I never, they could never prove that. Pretty sure it probably did. But the point is, <clears throat> then they come back. I said, that's absolutely insane. Then they come back and they, you know, you start arguing. They wanted to charge me, you know, with money laundering. They wanted to charge me. So we start arguing back and forth. I end up being charged with like bank fraud, conspiracy to commit bank fraud, wire fraud, government document fraud, social security fraud, passport fraud, aggravated identity theft. I'm mean, just a, a slew of shit. And it ends up we get it down to where basically I've, I was responsible for 15 million in fraud and there was 9.5 million in loss. I argued the 9.5 million in loss down to 6 million. And they basically, they said, you know, here's, here's what's, here's what you do. This is my, my, you, my public defenders, uh, her advice was cooperate, tell them everything they want to know and hope for the best because everybody's cooperating against you. And it's not like I'm not guilty. So it's like, just, you go in, you just, so oh, I, I met with the secret service, met with the FBI Met Candace Calderon in person. Not a nice person. Very, very uh, hostile. Um, I remember the uh, the Secret Service agent. When I got into the room with the Secret Service, two Secret Service agents, my lawyer, and the U.S. attorney, he says, we want to talk to you about some of the money that you've hidden. And I went, I haven't hidden any money. He goes, we know you've hidden money. I went, I haven't hidden any money. What are you talking about? And he went, he said, we know you've hidden money. And he pulls out some bank statements and he says, you've got $180,000 in the name of, of Walter Holcomb. Well, I'm Walter Holcomb. And, and, and I went, I looked at him and, I, and the, the bank were bank statements that I'd made. And I looked at him and I went, did you call the bank? He goes, yeah, I've called him. We just subpoenaed him. And I said, you subpoenaed them? And he goes, yeah. Keep in mind, I made the bank. It was an online bank at the website. I made the website. The phone number he called, he's leaving a message for someone to call him at the bank. That's my phone number. That's a voicemail. <laughs> so I'm like, so what did you think of the website? And he goes, what do you mean? It's a bank website. I said, yeah, but I mean, it was, it's professional. I mean, it's, it's, it was it's good, right? And he goes, because it's a bank website. And I went, yeah, but it's professional done. It was very well done, don't you think? And he went, I mean, I go, I mean, it was convincing. And he goes, ah, oh, son of a bitch. He goes, you made it, didn't you? And I go, it's all an illusion. I said, there's no fucking money. There's no bank. Who'd you subpoena? Like he subpoenaed the, a bank that used to be named that. I mean, it was just, I remember just kind of being like, I'm, I'm embarrassed you caught me. I mean, it was just so bad. Like, anyway, I end up getting, so anyway, I, they, they tell me that here's another, this is beautiful. They come to me and they say, listen, Dateline NBC had already run a one hour special on me. They said, Dateline wants to interview you. And I went, okay, well, I don't want to be interviewed. And my, my lawyer says, the U.S. attorney said they'll consider it substantial assistance which means we'll reduce your, your sentence because you substantially assist. Keep in mind, me going in and cooperating and telling them what happened didn't do me any good because everybody had already cooperated. 
you know, you, you understand you, you know, you, you rat out everybody, you know, you snitch on everybody and then they all get bumped off and you get credit for that. Well, you, you can't get that done if everybody's already told on you. So it's like, I'm just in a, it's just a shitty position. So, you know, I mean, I'd love to tell you, Sean, I'd love to tell you that I'm a gangster and that I held strong and I just took it on the chin and did the fucking time. But the truth is I'm not a fucking gangster. I'm a white collar criminal. I don't know anything about any code. I never signed anything. Nobody ever told me about a code. I'm ready to cut everybody's fucking throat to get out of prison. And that's just the fucking way it is. So, you know, look, I'm, look, look, you know, I'm the softest cotton, bro. I can't go to a fucking prison. I'm thinking I'm going to Shawshank. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, I've got nothing but nightmare scenarios about prison. I got, I'm thinking I'm going to have the prison experience that you had. I mean, like a, a state prison. That's what I know. I don't realize I'm going to a federal prison and I don't even know that there are different levels. I thought they were all the same. I didn't know I was going to go. I still did end up going to a rough prison, but unlike the one you went to, there weren't gangs that were really forced upon you. Like if you were just like neutral, then you're neutral. So what ends up happening is they asked me to be interviewed by Dateline. I get interviewed by Dateline. They come in, they interview me. Uh, and then when I'm done with the interview, I go to get sentenced and the U.S. attorney, my my um, what's called a pre-sentence report says that they want to give me 26 years. So yeah, it's a, it's a bad, it's bad. So they, and I said, okay, yeah, but you're going to reduce the sentence. My probation officer, I mean, my probation officer, my public defender said they'll reduce your sentence for doing dateline. Well, the night before my sentencing, I call her and she says, she called the U.S. attorney and asked what the recommendation was going to be. And she said, well, I thought about it and it's just not enough. Like what he did isn't enough to reduce his sentence. And I went, what are you talking about? They said they'd, she goes, they said they'd consider it substantial assistance. She goes, and they did, and it's not enough. So I go to, I go to sentencing and they recommend 26 years and four months and I get 26 years and four months. My lawyer was still the whole time telling me, I'm going to argue. Don't worry. We're going to get it down. You're going to look, you're looking at 12 years. You're, I get in front of the fucking judge. He doesn't, he's not listening to anything she says. It's just 26 years. I mean, it's, it's bad. Man, they bring up everything. They bring up the fact that uh, I'd signed the, the satisfaction with uh, C. Montgomery Burns. They, they bring up, you know, they bring up that I, the, you know, everything ends up being tweaked to make you sound like a supervillain. And I'm not saying what I did was, you know, you know, was, uh, was run of the mill, but they tried to really make it seem sinister. So anyway, I get 26 years. I go to, I go to prison. I end up going to a, a medium security prison. And the first day I was there, somebody got stabbed the first day. So I, I was like, the fuck am I? It's, 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 it, there are gangs and stuff. And I, I remember thinking, this is, this is bad. You know what, what really was my saving grace was that within a month or so of me being there, like I barely left the unit, but within a month or so of me being there, the guy that taught the real estate class didn't want to do it anymore. 
he came to me and said, do you want to teach the real estate class? And I went, sure. Yeah, I'll teach it. It's something to do. So I started teaching the real estate class and you know, everybody thinks they're going to get into real estate and make tons of money. Even these guys. So I start teaching the real estate class. So, I mean, I really did pretty well. And then I start, I became a GED tutor, which is the, the general equivalency um, to get your diploma for high school. So I start doing it being a, a, a tutor for the education department. And I taught the uh, real estate class and uh, I had 26 years. I mean, that's, you know, I obviously didn't do 26 years. I did 12 and a half years. And basically there's a whole other story that happens while I was in prison and how I got myself out of prison early, like less than half. You know, keep in mind, in, in the federal system, you do 85, you really did about 87%. People say 85%, but really until tr before Trump passed this law, it was it really, it was at 85, but it ended up always being 87% of your time. So whatever, you do basically 85% of your time. So 26 years, I got to do like 24 years. It's fucking ridiculous. So anyway, I mean, do you want to do another one? Another? Yeah, yeah, I've got a few questions on, oh, part, right, yeah. on what you've just said so far. Love to do um, part two about all your prison stuff as well. You're welcome back anytime, Matt. Like I said in the very beginning, I've spoke to you for over an hour right now. It just seems like five minutes. You're just so good at telling your story. Um, my first question is, what motivated your girlfriend's girlfriend to turn you in? Um, I think uh, the newspapers, well, not the Secret Service said, and then and Becky said that that she called the Secret Service, and I think she got a reward for like ten thousand dollars, ten grand. I'd have given her. A million dollars for a 10 minute head start. It's just, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you understand too, the, the person that they were portraying me as, and when she looked into it, I'm sure she thought, oh, this is a horrible guy. Like they said, one of the things they said was like, you know, he's armed and dangerous. I'm not armed. First of all, only danger I pose is the financial institutions. I'm not dangerous. I mean, I'm not, I'm not armed. I never had a weapon. I, I so, but they make they, they try and make you seem extreme like a this really horrible villain. And so, look, she did the right thing. I was wanted. I was on the run. I was a criminal. She called the authorities. She turned me in. I don't hate her or wish anything bad on her for that. Of course, from my perspective at the time, it was just horrible. But having gone, to, you know, look, when you go into prison, you have a certain way of thinking, right? Do you not think that by the time you were done with prison, you'd kind of change your way of thinking? Like, you ever notice these guys that get like a life sentence for something they didn't do? And you would think, then they, they find out with DNA or something, they didn't commit the rape and murder. It wasn't them. And they get released 25 years later. You'd think they walk out of prison and be like, fuck the police, fuck the, these fucking bad. They usually, 99% of the time, they walk out and they're like, Listen, I'm just glad I'm out. I, I, I don't hate anybody. I just, you know, it, things happened. You know, they, it, it was wrong. I, I, they, you get out and you're just so thankful to be given a second, a second, you know, a, a chance. 
And to me, my way of thinking, I had such a criminal mentality at the time that when I finally, you know, I, I went into prison, I started writing guys stories, crime stories. Uh, I had a few books published, uh, but you start, you start studying and reading about crime and about the victims and about, you start taking on a different mentality. And, and so to me, I, you know, I don't want to do the whole, I'm reformed, I'm a good person now, I'm, try, I'm not doing all that. Just saying I have a different perspective and I don't dislike anyone that cooperated against me or contacted the authorities or that's what a decent citizen does. And, and you know, they're, they're, they did what they did. That's fine. I, listen, I, I'm actually friends with a ton of my uh, of people that people that cooperated against me. Talk to them now, joke with them, everything. I got no problem with you. you yeah, right and so, and some people would view the fact that banks are uh, the biggest criminals in the world anyway. Oh, man. Uh, shaking down society constantly. They, they view you as kind of a Robin Hood character who spent the money on himself, perhaps. Yeah. All right, but my next question is, the night your girlfriend let that slip to her girlfriend, did you ever get to find out what was going through her head? Was she high? Was she just trusting this, this woman? Well, you know, I only got like one letter from her, from Amanda. And this is a girl that I remember laying in bed with. And she used to say, you know, if you're ever caught, I'll wait for you. I'll, and I got one letter, you know, <laughs> you could have held out for a year, six months, you know, you could. But anyway, I got one letter and the letter said that, that Trina had found out. I'm assuming the only person that could have told Trina was Amanda. And the only reason I can see that she would have told her was we were asking guys to cash checks. Some of the construction workers were casting checks, some of our friends. And I had asked Amanda to, if Trina would cash about $30,000 worth of checks, 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, you know, gave her the checks within two days I'm, or within three days I'm, I'm in handcuffs. I am assuming that that, is what sparked the conversation. She didn't know my name. You know, the newspapers all said that a babysitter for Amanda's son, which was Trina and Trina's mother, recognized me and they found me on the internet. There's, there's no way to recognize me and there's no finding you on the internet. You know, if I, if you don't know someone's name, how are you going to find this person on the internet? I mean, there, there was no, they couldn't search my face. There was none of that software was available. So Amanda told her, Trina contacted the authorities. She tried to get a, I think she got a $10,000 reward. I'm assuming she did. I was told she did. And, uh, and I got grabbed. I mean, what was she going through? I, I don't think Amanda told her thinking she was going to get me arrested. I really don't. You know, I don't think any, you know. So earlier on in the scam, you said that you were forging documents. How did you forge the documents? Like, uh, gosh, I mean, you mean like the W-2s and pay stubs? Or are you talking about like, I mean, listen, I would download W-2s and pay stubs off of the IRS website. And then I, you can, you know, there's, there's, there were programs. There's just programs online. You can just type in how much and you know, how many uh, dependents and what state you're in and everything. it'll program it for you. Most of the time, initially, I was just doing it with a calculator. But very quickly, I realized that you could go to the IRS website, you could download the documents, you could go to um, 
QuickBooks, and it would download them for you. You could print them out. The think documents I, I manufactured, I was making fake IDs. I figured out um, the Florida ID. I could, I could take a real driver's license and I could sand off initially. This was before I got the DMV to just, it, it became, it, it very quickly got to, I, I realized it was easier to just fake out the DMV and get them to print you a real driver's license than to make one. But initially I was making the driver's license. I would take a real driver's license, sand off the information. You could still see the hologram. And then I would take a piece of transparency and print the new information in reverse. And then I'd lay it over it and glue it on and cut off the excess. And then I'd beat it up a little bit and then I had a driver's license. Now it's not gonna pass muster with a cop, but it'll, it'll fool a lawyer. It'll fool somebody at the bank. I've cashed checks with them and everything. So that I manufactured, I got social security to issue social security numbers to children that didn't exist. For instance, um, you know, I, I would, I, the social security numbers, you know, obviously they're all linked to somebody. So if I use your social and try and use your social as mine, a fraud alert pops up. So they know. So I need a social security number that's been issued to, that doesn't has never been linked to anybody. So what I did was I, I, I made a bunch of phone calls to social security and I gave them a bunch of scenarios. You call up once and you say, hey, you know, I'm 37 years old and I've never had a social security number. And they go, that's not possible. They go, do you have a driver's license? You ever been in school? You ever had a bank account? You ever, you know, you hang up. And you call back and you say, hey, my child was born and never had a social security number. He's five. And they go, great. Bring him in so we can see him and bring us your information and we'll order him a social. I don't have a child to bring in. So you hang up the phone. And you call back and you go, hey, uh, I can't bring my son in. He's in another country with my wife right now, but I need the social. What else can I do other than bring him in? They go, well, how old is he? And you go, Oh, he's two years old. They go, oh, okay. I go, why? They go, well, if he was under 12 months old, you could bring in his shop record and his birth certificate. Really? Hang up the phone, call back. Hey, I've got a 10-month-old child. Um, never had a social security number issued to him. And they'd go, okay, we'll bring in the shop record and his birth certificate, and we'll, issue, we'll check in the computer. And if it hasn't been issued, we'll get you one. I came in and said, hey, shop record, this. They look at it. They check the computer, and they go, oh, you're right. Okay, in 10 days, you'll have one. And they, they order it. So I mean, wow. now I've got this SOCH, and then I go, and the, the, the credit bureau doesn't know. It's, it, they know it's been recently issued, but they don't know how, the date of birth. It's just a computer system. So I make up a date of birth for somebody who's in their 30s. I order three secured credit cards. They report on the bureau. They report the, drive, the, the, the date of birth, <clears throat> and now... I've got a credit profile for a 35-year-old who's got three secured credit cards, and in six months, he's got 750 credit scores. So, I mean, it's a process, obviously. So, it's the same thing with the um, ordering. If you might, just to get, if I wanted to order someone's social security card, I have to order it online, or, or I have to order it, so I have to mail it in. Well, one of the things they ask for is, like, a, they want a copy of your 
of your driver's license. Well, I don't have a guy's driver's license. I could make one, but what if they check? So then it's like driver's license, then it's like school ID, uh, uh, military, pa uh, military, your passport, military ID, or your employment ID. Well, every employer has a different ID card. So I manufacture an employer ID with this guy's information. I mail it off and sure enough, social security would mail it back to me with the so new social security number. I mean, you know, you slowly start to figure out all these things. And the thing is like, you could get a lot of real documents. Like I could register to vote. You can register to vote in the name of Mickey Mouse, you know, and they're going to send you a, 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 the government's going to send you a, a a little ID that says, a little card that says voter's registration card, Mickey Mouse. So I could order, I would order those. I would start ordering. That way I always had what's called, you know, pocket lint. You always have lots of documents on you in the name of the person that you are. And I, I mean, I got multiple tickets and pulled over. I'm driving like, if you, don't, if you know you can't, if you have a lot of money and you know you can't lose your license, you tend to drive like a maniac. I mean, I'm getting ticket after ticket. I almost lost a guy's license one time. I had to go to driving school. It was, it was, it was. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm going off. Go, what else? What? Yeah, I, I, um, I used to fly people over from the UK, establish credit in their names, and rent houses, buy cars, and then if you know all that was incorporated into the organisation. So if the cops get that car or get that house, that person's in the UK. If there's drugs yeah. in it, you know. The road ends right there. Yeah. Okay, so ne next question is, you, you set up your own fake banks and websites for these fake banks. Right. So how authentic did they have to look? Yeah, like I don't know how, okay, first of all, all, your, I, was, all I was trying to, the only person I was trying to fool was the underwriter for the bank or for whatever. Um, Countrywide Mortgage or Alliance, you know, Financial Services or Citigroup. Well, all the underwriter does is they might go online to check the bank website. They'll call. And, you know, so you're sending them, you're giving them two bank statements because what they want is, let's say I have to put $50,000 down to buy the house. It's a $300,000 house. I have to put down, let's say, $30,000. Let's say thirty. Well, they want to make sure that it's your money. So where you have it, I have it in my bank. Okay, well, we want to make sure that you've, it's your money. So it, mean, it needs to have been what's called season. It needs to have been there a while. So I have to show them my last two or three bank statements. So I make the bank statements. They're in color, front and back. I would mail them the originals. They say make a copy. I always mail them the original. That way the underwriter saw the original. And they would be like, oh, wow, your loan officer, your guy mailed us the original. And you'd go, oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Can you make a copy and mail them back? I don't give a shit about that bank statement. But the fact that they were in color and they looked so good, they feel like it's definitely these are the real bank statements. Then they would call the bank. If they decided we're going to call to verify, they'd call the bank. Well, I always made it a small bank, like Bank of Ebor. It's a small local bank. It's not really a bank. There's no Bank of Ebor. Or I'd make it um, Southern Exchange Bank of Clarksville. We've got three locations. And you'd call, and it'd go to a voicemail. We, we're experiencing high caller volume. Please leave your name, number, and your account number, and someone will get back with you. 
they leave it. I check the check the uh, voicemail and I call back or a girlfriend would call back and say, hey, this is Carolyn with, you know, Bank of Ebor. Can I help you? Yeah, I'm calling to verify Sean Atwood's uh, um, the balance in his account. Sure. Hold on a second. Let me let me pull up his account. What's his number? They pulled it up and they'd say, OK, what what number do you have? I can ver I can't tell you what the number is, but what number do you have? Oh, 96,500. Yep, that's what it is. Okay, thank you. Now the underwriter stamps verified. Everything she can check, I can cover. And then, of course, I show up with the check for $30,000 with a cashier's check. So I'm good. I mean, I'm the loan closes. It looks good. You you described the close call when you tried to cash a check that was over ten grand. Were there any other close calls that you haven't told us about? Oh yeah, one time. One time, this is so okay. So one time, uh, I bought a house, and I bought a house, and I was refinancing the house. So I bought. I had multiple mortgages on this house. In the name of, of Gary Sullivan. It was a guy's name was Gary Sullivan. So it was another time when I had multiple mortgages and I got, I was refinancing the house again. So I'd already financed it several times and I was refinancing it another time. I'd satisfied those loans or something. And I was borrowing another loan. I forget the exact situation. I'd have to look. But what happens is I get a phone call from Washington Mutual Bank. They're, they're from their lawyer. And he says, hey, this is Mr. Let's say Johnson. I forget his name. This is Mr. Johnson. I go, yes, Mr. Johnson. He goes, is this Gary Sullivan? Yes. What's up? And he goes, hey, uh, look, there's an issue. We just found out that you've got an. We they thought they were in first position. They thought they were the only loan. So we found out you've got another, a couple more loan or another loan on the property, and you've satisfied like I'd satisfied their loan. And they're like, I mean, this is a major issue. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're like, you know, we, I'm going to call the FBI. I said, whoa, 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 calm down. Let's not get crazy. Let me, let me, let me, uh, let's, the first thing I think we should be worried about is getting your employer's money back. I mean, I, you know, he's like, well, yeah, I think that that'd be good. I said, well, great. Let me, give me about an hour. I'll call you back. Okay. He goes, okay. Hang up the phone. I drive straight to my corporate lawyer. He'd filed a bunch of shell companies for me. So I go straight to him and I tell him what's going on. And he says his business or his partner is a criminal lawyer. So we get in the conference room. He goes, okay, what happened? And I explain what happened. You know, bing, bing, bing. They now know that, I, that their loan's been satisfied and there are other lenders on the house. They know I committed fraud. And the guy goes, Jesus, Gary, this is, this is, this is bad. He goes, has he already agreed? But you said he agreed to let you pay him back. I said, yeah, I just need you to write up some paperwork so that he promises not to call the authorities. And he goes, okay. He said, uh, you know, now is it, can legally he do that or not? I don't know. And I said, when I said, I don't want him calling the FBI or the Secret Service, he said, well, why would he? It's just a finance, he goes, it's just a creative financing error. And I thought, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever you want to call it, make sure he can't. He's not going to go any further once I give him the month, the hundred thousand back. Let's say a hundred thousand. So he goes, okay. And he said, all right, I'll call him. Uh, he goes, I have a, an issue though. He goes, we have an issue. And there's two lawyers sitting there. And he goes, 
Gary, the, the problem is you've got these other loans on the property. And I went, right. And he goes, what happens if the other lenders figure out that you've got multiple loans on the same property? They all think they're the only loan. And I went, well, he goes, can you pay them all back? And I went, no. And he goes, so what, what happens if they figure it out? And I go, well, then I leave town like that. And he, and he looked at me, he goes, Gary, he goes, they start, start laughing. They go, they go, that's not, they go, that's not feasible. I mean, they, they have your, they've got your social security number. They've got your date of birth. They, they know your name. They'll find, the FBI will find you. And I go, you're assuming I'm Gary Sullivan. And they, they went, the guy goes, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I said, yeah, let's just, my immediate problem is getting rid of these guys. Let me get them, call that guy. He calls them. He tells them, this is what's going on. They ask for $100,000. I go to a bank. I get the money out. I go give them, come back with a cashier's check. And he says, I got the cashier's check. He sends the whole thing. We sign some paperwork and that's it. They never called the secret, they never called. They never called the FBI, Secret Service, nobody. Would it have been an embarrassment to them? I think what happened was, listen, subprime was so, so dirty back then. I mean, think about all of these, all these banks were doing something wrong. And so putting out the fires becomes a full-time job because the fact is, do you, I had this guy named, uh, this guy, one guy, the one guy caught like the 2 million. One of his things was he actually, after he caught the 2 million and sold it to household bank, he came down a couple weeks later and took me and a couple brokers to, uh, to dinner. And he, he started drinking. He actually said, he said, listen, he said, nobody wants the FBI digging through their files. Nobody. And it was like, well, why is that? I don't know if it's a, if it's a, I, I just, I felt like it was like everybody was doing some kind of something. They were all doing something skeezy and they just don't want them around. I, if you're a legitimate business, I don't see what the problem is, but nope, all of them threatened to call the FBI, and then when I gave them a way to get out of it, they immediately were okay with covering up with what was clearly a fraud. I can't imagine there's any other reason for them to do that other than not wanting the FBI to come in and discover another type of fraud. That's very possible. How much money did you blow over the years, and what were the most extravagant things you did with it? You know, I... I I had another guy ask me this. Everybody wants me to say that I was blowing money and doing coke and I was this insane guy, but I'm a very conservative guy. I'm, I'm really <laughs> like, I have like, I, I have a girlfriend. I go to the movies. We go to on some vacations. You know, what did I do? I went to Jamaica. I went to Bermuda. I went to Mexico. We went to, to Greece. We went to, to, you know, to Croatia. We, we traveled, even the cars, like, first of all, you know, could I, could I have bought a Lamborghini? Yeah. But I, then everybody's looking at me. People ask questions when you're driving around in a, Lam, in a Lamborghini. I don't want anybody, you know, I, I don't want anybody paying attention. I didn't live in a two and a half or $3 million house. I lived in a, in a middle-class house. I tried desperately to portray a middle-class existence. Look, I've dated a lot of women. That's an issue for me. They're expensive. Um, you know, I've traveled. I have nice clothes. I didn't have a $30,000 presidential, you know, but I had three or four Rolexes. You know, I have, I've had some Cartiers. I've, I've, you know, 
had, you know, Dolce & Gabbana, you know, uh, um, shirts and pants and stuff. But I'm really not, I'm not that guy. And even though, you know, what's so funny is all of that still probably sounds pretty extravagant, but I don't think it is. I, I don't, you know, I mean. What I, was your favorite country to visit and why? Oh, man, Venice. Venice was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, I loved the no cars. I loved walking everywhere. I loved the gondolas. I like, you know, it was just, it, it, the, the culture was just, it was just so just, there was just so much history. It was amazing. Was yeah, so one, of, one of the highlights of my life was watching the Four Seasons get played um, in Venice. Oh, wow. Because Vivaldi, did you go and visit Vivaldi's place? Um, she's, I mean, I'm, I want to say yes, I don't recall the name, but I'm not, I'm not great with names. I mean, um, we were on the run. We would, well, see you, you, your, your whole thing is seeing it in Venice to me, you know, seeing, you know, Les Mis, I've seen Les Mis three or four times. I've seen the producers, I've seen a uh, Phantom of the Opera, you know, I, um, yeah. Can, you, can you travel now? Are you precluded from traveling because of your criminal record? I can travel. Um, I, I just went to Puerto Rico. Uh, I don't know about traveling. I was wondering about that with you. Remember I was saying I wanted yeah. to go. Yeah, and my probation officer has been great. Like she's let me go to, uh, but it's all within the United States. So, I mean, I've gone to California. I've, I've been uh, been to Texas. I, I went to Philadelphia. I went to Miami. I mean, I went to, I went to um, Puerto Rico, but I, I'm not sure... Like, she's allowed me to go. I haven't had an issue. The first time I got on a plane to go to California when I got out of prison, I remember thinking, because there was a red notice on me from Interpol. Now, it was old, but I was thinking to myself, what if this thing shows up? I mean, it was 15 years, it was like 13, 14 years ago, but I was like, <laughs> I don't know if they removed it. Anyway, but I've had no problems, and she's been good allowing me to travel, provided that uh, it's for some type of work-related um, venture. And my book, obviously, is work-related. She's had no problems with that. I was going to write a, you know, and, and I'm, I'm a true crime writer, so, and nonfiction, and I was hired by a lawyer to write uh, his memoir, and um, and I've been writing this, writing stories and turning some of the synopses I have into full-length books and things like that. So, you know, you have to do some traveling, yeah, we'd love to get you in the London studio. We interviewed John Elite, mafia hitman for the Gambinos. They let him in the country. They didn't let Tyson in. So it's just whether they will let you in the country or not, I guess. I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, I had heard. That's crazy. Like, I had heard. I heard that you weren't allowed. Like, if you're a felon, you couldn't go to the UK. But then I've talked to other guys that have said they were felony, they were felons, and they had gone to the UK. Now, you know, keep in mind the last time, you know, I'm usually I had the fake passports, and you know, you're walking through with, uh, but yeah, traveling on my to the UK, I would hope it wouldn't be a problem. I was gonna kind of assuming I'd call the State Department and try and track down first, because God, I'd hate to get on that plane, get get all the way there, and have them turn me around at Heathrow or something. Yeah, it depends upon how profile you are. Um, I was supposed to interview Pablo Escobar's son in London, and they wouldn't let him in. The, I think, I think the they Ameri let the other guy in. You said they, they let the other they let John Elite in, yeah. But perhaps he, he flew under the radar because people didn't know who he was. 
And then if you ask the, the UK if you can come in, for example, I asked multiple countries in Asia if I could go to there after I'd been released from prison to the UK. And once I notified them about my, if I could get in with a criminal record, that I was blacklisted. Right. So you're almost better off just, just trying it. If you can afford to lose the, uh, you know, the flight money and, uh, and that, you're better off just trying it, yeah, it seems. But I wouldn't encourage any criminal behavior. <laughs> Man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. is there anything, okay, um, wrapping part one up then, is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching this video? I've got a lot of young people on the channel who are tempted by the glamorization of crime. I mean, I know what the appropriate thing to say is. It's like, you know, you want to say the appropriate thing. But look, I don't think anybody's going to go out and do what I did. I think it, it they'd be caught almost immediately. You know, it's like pulling off a, a, stock, a stock fraud and having no experience. You're just doomed. I'd be caught immediately. You know, I, I had a certain skill set. And if you don't have that skill set, you're just done. You're not pulling off all this stuff. You know, and it's stupid anyway, because the fact is 50 years old starting over with nothing, pissed away 12 and a half, really over 15 years, really, because I was on the run three years. I was in prison 12 and a half. That's 15 and a half years. I'm on probation for another five years. I mean, I'm paying back $6 million in, in, uh, in uh, restitution. Listen, it's, it's a nightmare. How much money would I have made if I just tried to do it legitimately? Where would I be right now if I just tried to do it legitimately? Because I was lazy, thought I was so fucking cute, so smart, so, you know, cocky. And they, they, just the, the narcissism got the best of me. And I just thought I was so cool that I thought I could pull it all off. And when it goes bad, bro, it goes so bad so quick. I mean, I just, yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, was it worth it? Are you out of your mind? No, it wasn't worth it. You know? I don't have a ton of regrets, though. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's like that's two different things. Somebody told me it was the same thing, and I was like, no, it's not the same thing. Because I feel like I would have regretted not having tried. Like, I, I can live with losing. I, I can't live with not trying. Like, I, I never should have run. I should have just stayed there right then and said, look, okay, you got me. Because that just accelerated everything. In the beginning of going on the run, was it exciting? But then it reached a point where it became mentally exhausting. You know, everybody always says that. Like, like oh, I, you know, a lot of guys, when they get rested, they're, you know, finally, they're like, oh, finally, it's over. But I was never, honestly, it was, this is a horrible thing to say, Ro. I know this is going to sound horrible. It was probably one of the best parts of my life. It was, bro, you, you know what it's like to walk into a bank on the run, on the Secret Service's most wanted list, hand them all fake documents and have them cut you a check for $250,000 and thank you for ripping them off? You walk through passport control and everybody's saying, hi, Mr. Eckert, how are you? Hi, how are you? Is this business or pleasure? Pleasure. I mean, you're just, you feel like James Bond. He's fucking amazing. And I know that's not the right answer, but. It's an honest answer. And how do you now satisfy your need for those excitement? You know, I've thought about that because people have asked me that before, is that I kind of, in a way, vicariously, I live through writing these stories. Do you know how 
I mean, you, you know, you, you meet with some guy and he tells you his story and you get excited writing the story and hearing his story and being, you get to experience that without having any of the danger. And you really get to, because he's excited that you're writing his story, you get to really spend time with him and, and you get to ask all those little questions that you don't get to ask watching a movie. So I, I think that that fulfills that. It's, it's a way, it's, it's, you know, it's cathartic. I totally relate. I've got the easiest job in the world, just hearing fascinating stories from people like you and other people who've got these hard-hitting crime stories. And you've got your book, and people can get that worldwide on Amazon. Amazon. The, link, the link is in the description box below the video. And uh, why should they buy that book, Ben? You know, I, well, because it's going to cover all the stuff that I didn't cover here. It's all the little things. <laughs> it's the girlfriends. It's the traveling. It's the all the stuff that all the behind the scenes stuff and listen to everybody that's bought it. You know, I'm, I really don't do any advertising or anything. I'm selling a, a, a good bit of bit books. I mean, I just start, it just came out. Um, you know, the UK is big for a true crime. Like I've got a lot of guys in the comment sections from, from the UK. Uh, so yeah, so definitely. And I think they've, I think Amazon has a press in the UK. So definitely, um, yeah, definitely buy the book. I mean, listen, I, I haven't had anybody say that, that they regret buying the book. Everybody loves the book. It's it's great. I'm, um, and yeah, I can talk to you later about. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I'm I'm working with a couple production companies. I've got some of the stories being because I write just. Well, you write just true crime too, right? Yeah, I've got my own little publishing company now, and I've gone from publishing just my story to um, writing about other gangsters and now I'm publishing other books written by other people who've right. got their own crime stories as well. Yeah, great. A, a lot of my podcast guests, I'm helping them get their books out or republish their books. Nice, nice. It's, yeah, I've noticed that like my book selling causes other books I've written to start selling. Of course, yeah. And all these videos you're doing as well, it, it will be feeding into that. Now, um, if people will want to follow you on socials every author has socials are you on the socials yeah i've got you know i've got instagram and it's uh and i've got my uh my website is called uh inside true crime and my youtube channel is called matt cox and inside true crime <clears throat> and it's it's all the synopses i've got audiobooks so you can go to and just listen to the they're like i call them podcasts but they're actually short they're synopses they're like an hour two hours. And most of those stories are, I also have a book for, or I'm turning into a book. And I mean, you meet insane. You probably some of the, you probably hear some amazing stories in prison. All these stories I found from guys in prison. I wrote the synopses and I've turned them into books and I had a couple publishing deals. I got some guys in Rolling Stone. I wrote, did you ever see the movie War Dogs? War Dogs. What's it about? It sounds familiar. War Dogs is a movie about these two stoner kids in Miami. They started selling uh, selling arms to uh, the U.S. government for the Afghani, a Afghanis and the um, Iraqis. They're like 21, 22 years old. Jonah Hill plays the main kid, which is called Dever – his name's Ephraim Deveroli. I met him in federal prison, and I wrote his memoir. Wow. So I've got – another one we optioned, I wrote a story called uh, – it's called Generation Oxy. It was option to New Line Cinema. Uh, so I mean, I've had, I'm starting to have some good luck. It's it's a it's a hell of a business, bro. It's it's cutthroat, man. It's 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 more cutthroat than crime. 
but you've got the skill set to rise yeah. and the <laughs> perseverance and it's great to see that you're applying that to something leg legitimate yeah i'm trying so all your links are going to be in the description box below this video for all your socials if you could email those over that would be fantastic and i really appreciate your time matt and look forward to doing something else with you in the future yeah, definitely. We got to go over what happened in prison. Why am I? In, I should be in prison. My out date was 2030. And for the people watching this, please let us know in the comments what you thought of this video. If you've got questions for Matt, put them down there. Let us know if you want to see part two, your thoughts on that. And a huge thank you to all the people who subscribed. Subscription like logo. Hit the like button, subscribe, share it to a friend, right? Yep, and we'll get, um, if you want to check out check Matt's channel, that link's down there as well. Huge thank you to all people who've donated on the various links that are in the description box. And we've got our links down there as well to all the other stuff we're doing on YouTube if you want to check that out. So thank you very much for watching.